This is the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, the Holiday Cheer Edition, brought to you by RapNet, the Diamond Trading Network. Hello and welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, the podcast that's more polished than a VVS2. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the holiday season, talking about excitement around the royal engagement, and speaking with diamond marketing expert Sally Morrison. I'm David Ehrlich, your host, joined by Sonia Estrasultani, Rappaport's editor-in-chief. Hi, Sonia. Hi, David. And Avi Kravitz, our senior analyst. Welcome, Avi. Hi, David. Thanks for having me. The holiday season is in full swing, and with a positive Black Friday and Cyber Monday behind us, it seems like the retail sector is looking pretty good. That's brought some optimism in general in the diamond and jewelry trade. So, what are retailers doing to make sure that they have a happy holiday? So first, they don't start um, planning just for the holiday. They start much earlier. To have a happy holiday, you need to have a happy year, I would say. Um, so what's interesting is like the, the engagement that retailers are creating with customers starts much earlier than the Christmas season. And it's creating an ongoing dialogue based on... Um, um, social media, in-store events, engagement with your with your customers. I think we see that across the board from the big brands to the independent retailers. Yeah, the, the holiday season always used to be about inventory, really. You know, when is the when are the retailers buying their inventory and what are they doing with that inventory to entice customers into their store? But it's not really about that anymore. As Sonia said, it's about... Um, engaging with with their customers and having a conversation with an ongoing conversation with uh, with consumers um you know the holiday season used to have such an emphasis on 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 their sales that uh, you know 40% of their of of a jeweler's sales would take place in december or november december and um and while it's still a very important uh, gift giving season and 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 sales season for a retailer um, to be really successful during that period, they need to engage with uh, with customers all year round, I think. So what are retailers doing to engage with customers all year round that will make it so that they do come in in the holiday season or even buy something online? I think it has everything to do with brand awareness. And uh, brand awareness these days is social media, Facebook, Instagram, um, Snapchat. And um, all the brands that want to engage the most with the new generation, the millennials, have to be on Instagram. It's all about offering a story in which people want to be part. And uh, that becomes, you know, can be authentic stories with real people showing off the rings they bought in the store. It can also be working with local influencers. It can be working with celebrities, depending on where the brand wants to position itself. But they will find the right story to tell. And I think when they do that, they have the appeal and they draw customers in. And they also do it in using technology. Now you can actually buy a beautiful pair of earrings on Instagram. You see a picture, you click, you see the price, you see the little basket on the picture. Click takes you to the e-commerce website. All right, but who's really buying jewelry on Instagram? A lot of people, David. I would, actually. If you buy from a brand you know, if you buy from um, a jeweler that has created a beautiful story that can prove that everything is ethically sourced, that has inspired you to actually make that purchase, that very, you know, sometimes a very expensive purchase, you'd be surprised people buy at their lunchtime. 
Yeah, you know, if you think about it, uh, it's, you, you can get instant feedback from your friends. You can share that that Instagram post with your friends and get their feedback and convince you to to make the purchase in a way. You know, so I think that's. Uh, I, I don't think a lot of people are, are using the platform as a as a as a buying opportunity yet, but it's certainly a trend that we that we're seeing and something that we'll see much more of moving forward. So how does that affect the whole? retail experience around jewelry around uh, luxury goods well, well in general uh, we saw we saw over black friday on cyber monday mobile was the big trend that we're seeing this holiday you know the online story has been going on for a, for a number of years but this year we've really seen a spike in in online sorry in mobile purchases but for for retailers the trick really is to convert that to sales and the bulk of the sales are still taking place in store and where where jewelers in particular i think can use online platforms their websites their social media platforms to gain advantage is by showing that they are trustworthy, that they're knowledgeable, and that they have beautiful products. I think those are probably the three ingredients that they need. And once they have that, the trick then is to to drive traffic to their stores because at the end of the day, the bulk of the sales are, and, and jewelry is still a very much a, a try-on product, um, the bulk of the sales are taking place in-store. So you're checking your phone at, on the train, at lunch, wherever you are. You find the perfect jewelry store. You find the perfect piece, and you go into the store, and, and then what happens? That's a very good question, David, because this is where it happens. And I think there's also um, – I think actually I, I read something recently saying that the, the, the deal breaker now is not to actually keep people a long time in your store. It's to get them out as quickly as possible because people are busy. And I think we always take the example of Apple as you know, something that's very sleek and smooth, smooth, and actually that takes you through the experience so you have a very pleasant experience, but it doesn't try to keep you inside. It really tries to send you out with uh, the product of your dream. Well, I'm not sure if retailers are worried about people spending too much time in the store, but I think they should be worried about providing that experience. You know, like you, you mentioned Apple. I, I love going into the Apple store because it's just so much fun and such a, and I can spend hours there with it. Um, and at the end of the day, I probably will buy, you know, the next cool product that their energetic salesperson has um, has pitched me. But um, but jewelers are still learning that uh, how to provide an engaging experience in the store, and I think they are coming on board. But there's still a long way to go. And I think uh, Sonia, maybe uh, maybe you have some examples of of jewelers who are um, thinking out of the box to bring customers into the store. You see a lot of uh, stores across the U.S. creating really interesting um, and exciting in-store experience. So that basically, sometimes it can be just a baking. Uh, evening, so they bring like cookies and cakes and cupcakes presented in a really nice Instagram room where um, you have wine tasting, you have also collaboration with local artists. So actually it feels really like a, the jewelry store becomes a community center, showcasing local artists and showcasing beautiful jewelry. And it feels like you, you're part of something bigger and it's not just about selling something. It's really about creating a connection among people. Well, and really creating memories, uh, memories of the shopping experience and memories that will be attached to jewelry, you know, forever. How else are jewelry stores making memories? Well, jewelers are in the business of making memories, aren't they? Um, and I think uh, more customers are coming into stores asking for bespoke pieces. They're, they're asking for custom, custom-made, um, you know, engagement rings that the groom wants to be involved in the design, in the manufacture of it, even. And that's where jewelers can use their creativity to engage with their customer. 
because it's not just about presenting a, an option to create a unique piece of jewelry. It's about creating a unique experience that becomes part of that engagement ring and proposal experience that the groom wants to share with his bride-to-be, I think. Those are all things that are going on we're seeing in the independence, but we're also seeing seeing new trends out of the majors, out of Tiffany's, out of Signet. I mean, what what kind of trends are we seeing out of these big players? Well, firstly, you touched on an interesting point because I think um, creating that um, unique experience is where independent jewelers can really gain an advantage and win back some of the market share that they lost to the majors in the in the last few years. The independents. Um, have an opportunity to be the trustworthy community jeweler, you know, the town jeweler in a way. I'm um, going back to the to the old days. You know, you had the town baker, the town cobblesmith, <laughs> <laughs> but today you can still have the town jeweler. Um, but the majors are on top of things for sure, and it's becoming a very creative space. I think we're seeing some very interesting things from Tiffany um, this season. They've opened uh, two pop-up stores, which is another wider trend that we're seeing in, in retail in general this year. They've also opened a, uh, a cafe on the, on the fourth floor of their Fifth Avenue store, which, is a, which I think people have been waiting for since Audrey Hepburn uh, you know, stared at uh, Tiffany Jewelry and breakfast at Tiffany because today now you can literally have breakfast at Tiffany. And that's driving the conversation. Last season was a tough season for the majors. Um, Tiffany didn't have a great time in, uh, during the holiday season. And there was this critique that they weren't, um, they weren't engaging well with millennials. And this year, we've really seen them take that critique and answer it, you know, with the cafe, with new product lines um, in the home accessory um, product line is very exciting and interesting. And what it does is it drives the conversation. It gets millennials talking about them again. So it's not just the major retailers that are taking it up a step this season. We also saw the Diamond Producers Association release the next iteration of its Real is Rare campaign, playing spots in front of the American Music Awards and the Latin Music Awards. I mean, what do we think about these new commercials? I think they're beautiful. I think they really um, speak to a much wider audience than in previous years when I think that DPA tried to target the millennials with some maybe preconception of what millennials were, adventurous, wild, uh, riding in the countryside. And uh, and I think this year they, they addressed a different audience. This year they, they're talking to the older millennials. But also I think when you see the campaigns, you know, it's about privacy, intimacy. Um, the campaigns are shorter, but, you know, it's very central campaigns. You see the skin, you see the, the hands, the connection between two people who love each other and who commemorate their love for each other with the diamonds and they worked with different jurors, different designer from Harry Cutler, so very well-established name, to Mimi So, more up-and-coming designer. And I think they really tried to, to speak to something on an emotional level and I think it's working very well. Well, I must say that I do feel more connection to this most recent set of advertisements that focus on intimate moments and on personal relationships compared to the adventurous, not wanting to settle down millennial that I think they they figure that we all are. Uh, yeah, most, or a lot of us we are not, you know, driving in the countryside. <laughs> and even then it's, you know, with some with a partner that you want to be with for forever, for the long haul. This is really the first major generic campaign we've seen in a long time. And it used to be De Beers was the the generic advertising kingpin. But what happened to De Beers' generic advertising? 
Well, De Beers is one of the main um, sponsors of the Diamond Producers Association, along with uh, El Rosa. The two major mining companies are essentially funding the bulk of the DPA's campaign. And then there are five other mining companies involved also. But De Beers, for the last few years, has been shifting towards its own branding and brand marketing through Forevermark. Um, and they've made their message quite clear that they are not uh, there to be the custodian of the industry as they used to be, where they would fund these massive uh, generic um, marketing campaigns. But they're doing very interesting things with their brands. And it can be argued that, uh, you know, with strong brand advertising, that is a aspect of category marketing. You know, when Absolute and Smirnoff have a go at, at each other, the benefit is that people drink more vodka, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Um, but De Beers is doing some fun things to, uh, or interesting things. They're tackling um, female self-purchases this year, which is a, a break from the traditional focus on gift giving. Um, and it's an aspect of the market that we haven't seen a lot of advertising and promotion in the past. And it's such a big, important segment of the of the market. You know, it's 50% of humanity, but it's probably 90% of your diamond jewelry wearers out there are women. So it's a, I think it's a smart move from De Beers. So, Sonia, what do you think about the self-purchasing model of marketing and the trends around it? I think it, they're really spot on. I think Dubius does a lot of research. Their insights was all about female self-purchasing um, earlier this year. And I think when, when you see the tribute collection, the Forever Mark collection, it's called the tribute collection. It's all about women adding different layers of jewelry. So it's tacking and it's adding um, a piece of jewelry for a milestone in your career, an emotional piece of jewelry. It can be a gift from a friend. It can be a gift from a boyfriend. And it, it comes, it's not just about the engagement ring. There's so much more happening there. And I think the way they're working as well, they're working with young uh, influencers, people who are big on social media. They work with Ashley Graham, with Zendaya. So they really pick the right people um, to work with them. And I think that's making the collection very, very interesting. I think what's, what's great is that it's showing a new generation of customers. It's opening a new potential for jurors, retailers. And I think that's really, uh, that's really moving into the, to the right direction. So, Sonia, have you seen anything that you are looking to self-purchase? Well, actually, talking about milestone, next year I will have a big milestone. So I'm saving money for this one. Very exciting. Is there anywhere we can donate? Well, I'll tell you after the show. <laughs> we're, we're contributing, we're not donation. It's not a, you're, not, you're not a charity case well, yet. it depends on my milestone if I told you the, uh, the milestone. Okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. So, so with all of these new trends, with all of the, the marketing, with all of the social media push, what are your expectations for the holiday season? I think it's looking good. Um, there's a lot of excitement, a lot of innovation, a lot of lateral thinking, and I'm really looking forward to see the results in January. Yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm optimistic for the season. In the US, I think jewelers are coming to the party. I think there's a long way to go that um, they're learning how to engage with customers both online and in their store better um, because it's a, such a dynamic environment, such a dynamic retail environment and such a, a, a challenging one. But I think um, we're seeing some exciting things there. And then the industry always wanted us, thought, you know, if only there was a second Christmas out there. And then came along the Chinese New Year. And what we're seeing this year is a, a recovery in China and, and some very optimistic numbers out of China that um, I think we're going to see some growth, which is the first time in a long time that we have that we we'll, would have seen 
growth out of China and the U.S., our two biggest markets. So I think we've got a lot to be excited for. You know what? Sounds like it's going to be a happy holiday for the industry, and I hope you guys have a happy holiday too. Thank you, David. Thank you, you too. so much, David. You too. This podcast is brought to you by RapNet, the world's largest diamond trading network. With more than 140,000 searches carried out each day, I'm not sure how you can afford not to be on RapNet. It's surely the smartest, safest, and easiest way to buy and sell your diamonds. Check out more on RapNet.com. With holiday marketing in full swing, it's sometimes easy to get lost in the dynamic needs of today's consumer. Helping us get our bearings right, Rappaport News reporter Joshua Friedman sat down with diamond marketing expert Sally Morrison to discuss marketing and more. How are you today, Sally? I'm good, thank you. Very good. How are you? Very well, thank you. Um, so, Sally, it, um, it seems that um, diamond marketing has, has been forced to change recently because of the new generation of consumers whom it's targeting and also the way that they access information and products. What do you consider to be the most interesting trends in marketing of diamonds at the moment? Well, I think that the rise of digital and the sort of developing understanding of this audience that let's loosely call millennial for purposes of this conversation um, has meant that many, many brands are having to adjust to a more 360 approach, right? So in, in, in terms of marketing, in addition to the conventional marketing like advertising on television and, and print and all those usual channels, they're having to go much deeper into a digital kind of world and to look at social much more seriously. And I think to try and learn to play, to balance all those channels simultaneously to bring a brand to life in a kind of more immersive way. Great, Sally. Can you mention any outstanding recent examples of uh, diamond marketing that have caught your attention? Well, I think that in, in this arena, Tiffany have done a fantastic job. I think they embrace digital relatively early. Um, they're certainly the first jewelry brand that I noticed on Snapchat, and they started to sort of broadcast on Snapchat from behind the scenes at their big blue book events and so on. So I think that they have um, taken a very holistic 360 approach. They're Tiffany, so they've done it in a restrained and kind of very disciplined way. But I do think that they are on sort of the vanguard of this kind of work. So Sally, what does Snapchat offer the industry that other major social media platforms don't offer? Well, I think that, that for the younger generation, it's it's a channel that's very native to them. It's their preferred way to communicate between friends. So I think for them, it offers a kind of immediacy, a kind of lack of filter. And we know that these consumers are very interested in authentic communication. So the very sort of live nature of Snapchat, I think, gives this sense of authenticity, that the brand isn't editing as it goes, that it's willing to, if you like, make itself vulnerable and visible very directly to an audience. Sally, you've been involved, if I'm right, in some classic campaigns such as A Diamond is Forever. Do you feel that the, the culture and, and attitudes in, in diamond marketing has changed a lot since then? Are people pr approaching um, marketing and, and really retail in, in general differently today? Well, I think that the world has changed since the diamond is forever, right? So um, that was, I think, the most resonant and beautiful campaign and most appropriate for its time. But we're now looking at, at a world where there's a whole generation of people that were never exposed to that messaging. And a priori, people who don't get their information necessarily from broadcast television. So 
I think that the world has changed. Um, I'm not sure that the, the, the guts of the message has changed, but I think the ways that we have to deliver it as diamond brands has, has changed very fundamentally. Interesting. What was it like to be involved in such an iconic campaign as a diamond is forever? Well, it was fantastic. It was very exciting. It was very exhilarating. And I think what's important to note about a diamond is forever is that De Beers always managed it as an integrated marketing campaign. So the PR group and the advertising group and the market intel group, everybody all sat together in a hub. So in that way, it was very modern. And I think the other thing, of course, that was exciting about it was the really innovative work that built the whole category. And I'm thinking about those really famous product campaigns like Three Stone, Journey Diamond Jewelry, the millennial work. So it was fantastic and it was totally right for its time. I wanted to ask about De Beers because um, we deal with a lot of diamond companies um, and outside the retail majors like Signet and Tiffany, De Beers still seem to be head and shoulders above everyone else in terms of how they communicate, how they market. Do you see that as the case? Can you point out maybe uh, any other companies out there that are, that are imitating what they're doing or are coming close? Well, I don't know a lot about other companies' um, in- internal sort of workings, but I would say that what's special and interesting about De Beers is their knowledge of the consumer, their research about the consumer, and all their ideas and all their work has always come from deep insights in the consumer landscape. I mean, certainly in my work at Gemfields more recently, I think there was really an ambition to be like a little mini De Beers of color. So that's going to the consumers, really trying to understand what those consumers wanted, what are the gaps and needs in their lives, and how can a brand like Gemfields fill fill those needs. Now, obviously, entirely different scale, but I think the principle and um, the sort of um, the way of the, the way of approaching it was was not dissimilar. But still, there must be some key differences between how you market a diamond um, and how you market a, a coloured gemstone. Uh, can you tell us a little bit maybe about how uh, the different requirements of a company like Gemfields compared with a, a mainstream uh, diamond company? Well, I, I think that, that obviously the coloured stone market is even more fragmented than the diamond market. So that's one very particular difference. Um, I think consumers are consumers. And I think if you believe that you have to take your, your lead from the consumer insight, and in that way, um, the practice is not that different, honestly. So we've been very pleased to have you um, contributing to our magazine recently. And um, we know that you've had a, a lot of experience in the industry. Tell me what's next for you uh, in your career? What, uh, what, what are you doing now? And what do you see yourself doing next? Well, I, 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 I'm not sure what I'm doing next. I would say that I'm doing a lot of different little things. Um, I'm doing some consulting uh, for some brands, including some diamond brands. Um, obviously, I've been thrilled to do a little bit of writing with you guys, which has given me you know, an opportunity to, to sort of try that out a little bit. Um, I'm taking a class actually on podcasting because it's something I'm very interested in. And um, I'm just trying to figure out what to do next. But one, one thing is very clear to me that we have to approach all these things in a very different way. We have this huge group of consumers coming into the market with, you know, huge buying power and all the rules have changed. So so one of the things I'm doing is, is to try and get a little bit more exposed um, to, to some of that sort of millennial world. For example, um, I'm hoping I've, I've applied to, 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 to work at Starbucks for a shift because I really, really want to understand. Yes, I really want to understand this, 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 this economy where people 
piece together a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And I also honestly want to understand retail. And I think one of the big outstanding challenges for our industry across the board is how do we reinvent retail in a way that's authentic and engaging and frankly attractive to this big group of younger consumers that are coming into the marketplace. You know, for sure, millennials don't all have a lot of money yet, but they will continue to be the biggest single group in the marketplace, right? So we, we, we got to bend our minds around that. We've got to go where they are and try and understand them better. Right. Sally, I'm assuming that um, what attracted you to Starbucks was that you are impressed by the way they do things and the way they serve people. Can you tell me, what do you think your average uh, Main Street diamond retailer could learn from the Starbucks next door? Well, I don't know yet because I haven't gotten inside it. But I think one thing is for sure, um, we don't have the equivalent, let's say, of an Apple store or a Sephora for jewelry. We don't have an environment that's playful and engaging in that way. So I think that's what we have to focus on. Now, I'm, I'm very interested and very impressed by the steps that have been made by Blue Nile in their web rooms. I think that's an interesting model, right? That kind of 360, it's online, it's offline, you can touch it, you can feel it, but you buy it from the privacy of your own home. That's an interesting model. I think that um, the website Memo, which is basically extending cons consumers the ability to try and test on in their own homes and return a piece of jewelry if they don't want it, that's interesting to me. And I hear anecdotally they're getting very good conversion to sale. So I don't know the answer, but I think we need to look harder and we need to work smarter to try and get these consumers into our sector. Great. Well, thank you very much, Sally. Thank you. Have you seen the December issue of Rappaport Magazine? Rappaport Magazine has always been a must read for anyone in the industry. But since it was redesigned, it's become the place to find the most compelling news, trends, and in-depth views about the market. If you're not already subscribed, it's about time you got in the know. Go to join.rapaport.com to pick up your monthly subscription today. Joshua joined us in studio to talk about the news of the day. And Joshua, exciting news out of your homeland, with Harry finally popping the question to Meghan Markle, a royal engagement, a royal wedding on the way, and everybody is talking about Meghan Markle's sparkle. You're right, David. Really, the, the notable thing about this story is that Prince Harry really did everything that we've been told a millennial is supposed to do when he proposes. He designed his own engagement ring for Meghan. He used diamonds, that all of which had a story, the center diamond, a cushion-cut diamond, uh, was from Botswana, which is a, a country that he said was very close to his heart, and he spent a lot of time, um, including recently, with Meghan. The outside diamonds were from the collection of his late mother, Princess Diana, and he even uh, proposed in the classic millennial way uh, in an authentic setting at home. Uh, he got down on one knee while he and Meghan were ro roasting chicken at home in the kitchen. It was really everything that uh, we've been told millennials are supposed to be doing. So you hear a lot about solitaires, you hear some stuff about halos, but a three-stone ring is a pretty unusual piece. Yes, David. In recent years, the trade has been more pushing the two-stone ring. Those uh, Signet put out their uh, Ever Us two-stone campaign in, in recent years. Forevermark joined in on that, and um, that was obviously pushing uh, two-stone rings. But this might actually lead the market to consumers to show more interest in the three-stone ring, and it's... Uh, actually done a lot to push that, and there's plenty of marketing potential there. Uh, Everus uh, pushed the two-stone ring as being one for your best friend and one for your true love. One uh, American uh, 
comedian once pointed out um, in a parody last year, uh, one for your true love, one for your best friend, and one for your emergency contact. We've seen a three-stone ring trend in the past where De Beers was pushing the um, three-stone ring as a as a category in the same way that Signet was pushing the, the Ever Us campaign for two-stone rings. De Beers was pushing the idea of um, past, present, and future in their campaign. But isn't it a wonderful story and the power of celebrity, really, that personalities such as you know Harry and, if I can call him by his first name, His Royal Highness, Prince Harry and, and Meghan Markle, that overnight can create this this trend, really. Um, that all the all the diamond producers associations, millions of dollars, that they they were planning these campaigns for years, and overnight um, with the with the followers and the interest that this couple generates, they can create this uh, this marketing opportunity for for the industry. And I think all the all the points that that Joshua pointed out. Um, present a marketing opportunity. What are your feelings, uh, Sonia? I have a feeling that Megan is going to be the new Kate. Uh, she's already setting trends. You can see already the three stone ring. People are looking for them in different, not only with diamonds, sometimes with diamonds and colored gemstone. And I think when Kate got engaged, she received from William, she received the beautiful sapphire and diamond ring that actually belonged to the late mother, Princess Diana. So she was wearing a, a ring that was already iconic. And we could see the cells were actually following. Women certainly also wanted their sapphire and diamond ring, sometimes with other colored gemstones. But you could see that everything Kate is wearing, people want to buy. It's been a phenomenon for years now. And already Megan on a Delphi engagement was wearing um, earrings by uh, Burks, which is a Canadian jeweler. She, she's based in Canada a lot for, uh, for the series she used to, to film. So it sold out within 24 hours. What she was wearing that day, a white coat, also sold out $400. So I think they're really setting trend and people are looking up to the royals and in terms of uh, role models I think they see something in this generation the new generation of royals of British royals as very exciting and uh, very relatable as well now the, you said the center stone comes from Botswana I know that there's a lot of diamond mining in Botswana De Beers is based there but what does that mean for the industry is that another trend we're gonna see Botswana diamonds well, Botswana diamonds have been a trend for the last 60 years, really. It's a, it's the feel-good story of the industry, really. You know, um, It's a real example where diamonds have contributed to the, directly been responsible for the economic growth of the country. And when you when you drive on the streets, when you see the universities, when you when you see the hospitals, the school system, everything is basically built on the backbone of the diamond industry. And this is again is is a, a an aspect of the Harry and Meghan story that uh, the industry can build on. That's not the only feel good diamond story that we've had this month. We also recently saw the sale of the Peace Diamond out of Sierra Leone. That was a seven hundred and nine carat piece of rough. That I mean, we we think it's going to do a lot of good, right, Sonia? So, yes, it's a fascinating story. The way it was found, the way it was marketed, the way um, it should change people's life in Sierra Leone. That was the whole story around the diamond that was uh, sold by um, in auction. And um, Rappaport was involved in the auction. Actually, Martin Rappaport really promoted his diamond and is the one who really um, wanted to say that Diamonds can change the world, make the world a better place. And I think people were interested. It's... Uh, second biggest 
um, largest rough coming from Sierra Leone, but I don't think people are interested in that number or that digit. They're interested in the fact that most of the money from the sale will actually benefit the people from Sierra Leone. There were stories about how schools, wells, roads will be built thanks to the sale of this diamond that sold for 6.5 million in New York. And uh, the person also, the, the company that bought it is uh, Graph Diamonds. So there's a lot, I think, going on in terms of um, stories uh, with this. It's not just, it's not a feel-good story. There's also potential, enormous potential for marketing, I think. And, and it puts uh, Sierra Leone on the map. You know, the, this group of diggers that found this uh, this diamond had had the option and were actually pressured into selling it in the in the regular way that they would in in Sierra Leone, going to the dealer who informally buys the diamond at a cut price. And they chose not to. They very um, consciously wanted to put this diamond on the international market to showcase what good diamonds can do for Sierra Leone, that a, a diamond find of this magnitude will have an immediate uh, impact on that community. And it's, uh, it's a really exciting story, I think. I think it changed the way diamonds are going to be sold in Sierra Leone. What's the relevance of Graf Diamonds buying the Peace Diamond? So that's a, that's a great question, David, because Lawrence Graf and Graf Diamonds are known to buy big stones, big pieces of rough. Usually the quality of the, the rough is excellent, like with uh, Les Sandy Larona that they bought earlier. I think this one is really about the story that comes with the diamond. Well, the story tried to be that it's not just buying a piece of diamond, it's trying to buy a diamond that changes people's life. And I think that's, uh, that's the whole... Um, in terms of storytelling, I think there's, you, can't, you can't make that up. You can't buy it in marketing terms. Uh, Gra- Graf Diamonds is, is known for buying the uh, you know, D flawless. And this wasn't a beautiful stone, it was, uh, but it's a beautiful story. And I think that's what, what he essentially bought into. So it's nice to see that diamonds are going to be making happy holidays all over the world this year. Well, we certainly hope so. Well, we'll catch up in January to see if it happens. Thank you very much for the insight, Sonia. Thanks, David. And thank you, Joshua. Thank you, David. And thanks, Avi, the most knowledgeable man in the industry. Well, I wouldn't go that far, David, but it was great to be here. Thank you. Join us next time when we'll be reviewing the big trends and stories of 2017 and taking a glimpse into what might lay ahead in 2018. God save thou <laughs> gracious queen. But if not her, then the king. If not him, then the other king. Um. <laughs> I'm sorry. I've been wanting to sing the whole since we stepped in here. <laughs> Break the ice a bit. <laughs> Very good. Do you want to hear a joke I made up? Oh, God. Uh-huh. Three diamonds walk into a bar. The barman says, sorry, we don't serve carrots in here. <laughs> oh, that is sweet. Can we keep it? Can we I... keep it? Jessica, keep it. <laughs> so I've got others, but they're not that appropriate. So I think we found after the outro what we were going to play. <laughs> That was a Joshua joke. <laughs> 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 Got more of it, don't worry.